everyone, this is Dan with the Spiritual Underground Podcast coming to you from my little wood shop here uh, at DTM Enterprises. Uh, doubles up as a studio, a podcast studio on uh, certain occasions so people come down here and, uh, and uh, carry this 12-step message. So if this is the first time you've ever tuned into the podcast, this is it's primarily a 12-step based uh, recovery podcast. I do, however, explore many av- uh, avenues of which people find their true selves. Uh, so that's why the way I define recovery. Those of you that have heard me a time or two know that I, my definition is to reclaim that which was lost or stolen. And uh, a little lost and a little stolen came along with my alcoholism and addiction. And, uh, and I have recovered and continue to recover from that state of mind. So, um, 12-Step Spiritual Recovery is a book by James Christopher Cohn. Uh, you can find that on Amazon. It is, uh, this is my views on it, but uh, it, it is f- formatted in a way which will allow anyone, whether if you're current, whether if you're, if you, if you don't fit in the current 12-Step Fellowships, it is a way to deliver this 12-Step philosophy and tools and principles uh, to, to these people. Uh, if you're currently a 12-step and, you, and that's a 12-stepper and you're in that uh, in a particular fellowship right now and you might want to go to another level or, or dig a little deeper, peel deeper in the onion, uh, it also is for those people. And uh, I usually had three, but I don't remember what the other one is. But basically, it's the 12 steps for everyone and allow those who are currently in the programs to dig as deep as they want to. Uh, we, we have meetings in Louisville, Kentucky area to uh, do that. So if you're interested in it, you can contact me. Uh, DTMWW.net is my little handyman woodworking business. Got any uh, stuff you need along those lines, uh, contact me at Dan at DTMWW.net. And uh, I haven't done this lately, but the music around the podcast is, uh, is, is written and produced by Darren Frank. So uh, keep him in your prayers. Uh, not much is really, he's still in the same situation as he has been in that uh, um, physical rehab place. He'd uh, had some mental, or had some mental, he's had some physical setbacks and he's got, before COVID, ended up in one of these physical rehab places and he's uh, unable to get out of there now. Um, so today, uh, my guest is uh, Lindsay. Um, you know, you bop around in these 12-step rooms and you meet people and see people. And, uh, and and I have this gift and I have since the beginning of this thing where I can remember names and faces. It just sticks with me. And a lot of people uh, are a little envious of that gift mm-hmm. I have. And, and I'm frankly very grateful for it because it comes in so handy uh, when when you're when you're working in this kind of environment where you can rem- it, it means something to people when you can remember their names. And uh, that little gift alone sometimes will uh, allow somebody to hear me. Uh, because I remembered who they were, and uh, so I remember people in the rooms. And but I don't expect that everybody does the same thing. But uh, and, and we put it together before the meeting uh, or before the podcast here that we'd. Uh, I know some places where we had bumped in into one another, and uh, I am also uh, uh, friends with uh, Lindsay's husband. So there's some small world thing when you're mm-hmm. running around recovery and uh, and. Uh, you know, every time I try to stick a spider web out with this thing, you know, and I'm not trying it, it just comes naturally. I know that's part of this why it's working is because it's been so flow state like is that I'm not really having to work very hard to make this thing happen. Uh, Holly uh, 
recommended uh, some people and said, boy, you should get so-and-so on, and you should get so-and-so on. And I said, well, why don't you help me with that? Uh, I will accept your help on that. (laughs) So uh, Lindsay was the first one of Holly's friends that uh, popped in the studio. How's it going today on this Sunday afternoon? It's going great. It's been a busy weekend. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Thank you for having me. A couple, little bit of time just to sit down and and this yes. is you know this is like a meeting this is good it for is. my this is participating in my recovery and in, mm-hmm. in, in as good a way as I can actually do it you know and maybe besides working one-on-one with another person sure uh, that's about it uh, what's your sobriety date so my sobriety date is September 17th 2007 2007 so, so almost 13 years would you say September the what 17th? 17th, so that's in yeah. just a minute. That is Thursday. Yeah, oh, I was, was it Thursday? Yeah, Thursday. If I make it to Thursday, it'll be 13 yeah, years. Thursday. Yeah, I'll I be got a, a feeling you'll again. make it. Shoot. Yeah, how about I hope that? these teenage years are going to be better than was, my original teenage years. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> do you have the same feeling that that went along pretty quickly? That all of a sudden it's 13 years? Yes, I Most do. Most people would report that, that yes, it's a flash. It, it has been. Yeah. Yes, it's been a busy uh it's been a busy 13 years yeah do you grow up around here so i grew up in jasper indiana so dubois county um i lived there all my life i went to college in Terre Haute and evansville but then moved back to jasper so i lived in jasper for the first two years of, of my sobriety and then i um, transferred for a job in 2009 yes to up here. To so, yeah, I moved to Jeffersonville yeah. and um, met my husband, and now we live in Clarksville. Yeah. So we've been married eight years. Our our uh, wedding anniversary was September 8th. Wow. Yes. Yeah, well, congratulations on yeah, that, September's too. September's a big month. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, it's one of my favorite months, uh, mostly because it's right before October, and October is the hunting season, and the fall comes in, <laughs> and I just love that time of year. There's nothing that energizes me better than that. Uh, what your brothers, sisters, how'd you, uh, what was your family life like? Well, um, I think you could say that my family was like the Brady Bunch. There really wasn't a whole lot of dysfunction. I think the only dysfunction in the, in the home was me oh, really? <laughs> from birth. Huh. Um, so I had one sister. She was three years older than me. Mom, dad, they're still married today. Mm. Um, Dad worked in a factory. Mom babysat um, at home, so that I was always surrounded by kids every single day. Yeah. Um, so I would say I learned early on in sobriety that the biggest, um, the number one offender is resentments, and I think mm-hmm. I can remember my first resentment being um, that I I had convinced myself that my mom loved all these other kids more than she loved me. So I was um, beginning to wonder if that wasn't going to be this. (laughs) That was number one. Yes. So, I mean, I remember even at five years old having suicidal ideation thinking if I just like wanting to die, but then also thinking they'll love me then Mm. if I'm no longer here. I don't think that's normal for a five-year-old to think. I don't know any other five-year-olds, um, in my life that think that way. Um, and that didn't just happen once. It happened multiple times. Yeah. Some, uh, yeah, that, uh, and there was no, dis, you know, like I said, there was no abuse. There was no dysfunction. There was no, um, nobody did anything wrong to me ever. Um, I had great parents, 
obviously I still do. They're still alive. But growing up, I mean, they were great parents. Um, there was no drama. Thing. There was, yeah, there was no drama. We ate, we mom made breakfast, lunch, dinner. We all sat down to dinner together every single night at 530 when dad would get home from work at five and we'd all sit down at 530 and when we'd have dinner together every day, yeah. um, even in high school. So it was... Um, we always did things together. My parents were very hardworking. They took care of us. I had um, everything I needed and most of what I wanted. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's another one of the ones that's uh but there's this perceived feeling of neglect where I'm not yeah. getting the attention that I think right. I ought to be getting. Exactly. Yeah. And, she uh, liked them more than me, which they probably were a lot more likable than I was, you know, to be honest with you. Now as an adult, I'm like, yep, I, they were probably a lot easier to love. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, when you got mm-hmm. to your home, when you're not necessarily, you know, there is definitely a difference between you're in your home court, mm-hmm. you know, you're not necessarily uh, behaving the way you are when you show up at somebody else's place, you know, yes. and these kids are on a, yeah. At an away game, yeah, uh, they have a little bit of a incentive to to be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it got a little bit better as I got older um, because I got into sports, mm. and so there was just two of two girls. There was no boys, so Dad kind of. I was the athletic one compared to my sister, who had no athletic ability at all. So he just like focused on me and playing ball and, and, you know, and doing things, um, together. So he taught, he coached my T-ball oh, really? um, team when I was seven years old. Yeah. And, um, and then it went on and I played up until high school. So, um, so he was involved in that. So I think that was the connection I had with dad. Did you and play so softball? Is that what? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I did. Did you play it in, high, in college too? No, no, no. My sophomore year of high school, I did. I had a lot more important things to do, uh-huh. like party and drink and hang out with friends. And I had, I didn't have time for anything else. So how <laughs> did the uh, chemical solution come into your life? You remember about how old you were or what? Um. So I, um, I remember. I grew up in a you know German Catholic family. My dad's one of eleven. And my uh, mom is one of six. They're mm. all Catholic. They, um, they, were, they were all social drinkers. Um, my grandfather, my mom's dad, was an alcoholic. Mm. And he's what everybody looks at today in the family as what an alcoholic looks like. Um, he progressed. His was progressive. And I don't, I think he got sober possibly a, a little bit sober could you be a little bit sober <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. um drank a little less at, in his 70s but so most uh, you know all their childhood um he drank every day spent all the money on alcohol and they didn't have enough milk and food mm. to eat um so that's what everybody looked at as and he was angry like i i really was scared of him when I was younger um because he'd cuss and he'd yell and he'd scream and he was mean to my grandmother um and you could see a lot of just people, my, my aunts and uncles, just very much just disgusted by him a lot. So, yeah. um, so he's what I looked like. It looked, you know, when I think thought of an alcoholic, I thought about my grandfather. But my my direct family, there was no alcoholism. My dad drank um, apparently when he was young, and I saw him drunk a couple of times when I was. Uh, a, a kid but that's it um like i said they were social drinkers so it wasn't anything that got in the way of anything yeah, so that's pretty much the way i grew up too you know mm-hmm. it was normalized and you know yes wasn't any, uh, i did have some peripheral people that 
looked like they drank a little too much, but never was mm-hmm. made a deal out of it. And yeah, uh, yeah, and it was really um, very, very expected that you drank. Uh, my mom would drink. She would drink a margarita, and when she was starting to feel it, she would stop. Yeah. And uh, I never really understood that. I thought that isn't that the point? I don't yep. understand. Yeah. <laughs> then give it to me. I'll drink the rest. <laughs> So I uh, remember just as the family would get together and the and they would all be playing cards um, and drinking and dad would let me give me sips of his highball and mm-hmm. I'd always try to get as many sips as I could. Um, I don't know if that has if that is um, significant, but I just remember um, thinking I was getting away with something. Yeah. Um, and also the fact that he was letting me. So. Um, so how many times are you going to let me, right? So, yeah, yeah, similar here too. You know, I had an uncle and I was uh, telling Holly about it that uh, he drank uh, whiskey and water just on ice. And uh, <laughs> and he'd always have his little glass there beside him all the time. And, and, and I don't know if he encouraged me to do this or what, but I remember mm-hmm. I would stick my finger in that and then taste it. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I, you know, again, I don't know what the significance of that is, but I do recall a couple times when he would get up to use the restroom, then I would take a drink of it. Mm. And mm-hmm. I was, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, if I was going to throw a age range in there, it's like between five and eight yeah, kind of thing, you know. So I'm certainly not like in any kind of way that I'm looking right. to catch a buzz or. Oh, yeah. I, I never even got a adult. buzz or anything like that. Yeah, I think it, I'm just playing adult. That's what the adult exactly. is doing. And so yes. I will do that, too. Yes. I want some, too. Yeah. yeah. I want to fit in. Yeah. I always wanted to fit in. Never felt like I did. Um, which probably had a lot, you know, even like I said, when I was little and having that perception that everybody else was liked more than me and just never feeling like I fit in. Disease concept of this thing that, you know, I do know, like you're saying that I had something from the time I was a little kid Mm -hmm. where I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. Mm -hmm. But I think that's kind of, I don't, I don't. I don't think that's limited to alcoholism. Sure, I don't you either. Know, I think we all feel out of place. Yeah. You know, uh, it's the thing about where I'm reaching over and, and and grabbing for this chemical solution that seemed to be available, and you know that mm-hmm. it just like it like grew as a mushroom in front of me. You know, and mm-hmm. and there it was, and it would hit. You know, I had these little opportunities. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it kind of gets into this thing about like some people will say like the first time or first times you're making a choice to drink. Well, I had to look at that situation when I was that young, and I'm not sure I was actually making some kind of conscious choice to introduce alcohol into myself. And I kind of wonder, like, you know, is this because we say cunning, baffling, and powerful, right? Sure. And I, you know, I'm kind of one that 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 really questions the limits of that. And I wouldn't be beyond thinking that that stuff already doesn't have some kind of hold on you, you know, some kind of draw, some kind of dark force mm-hmm. thing, or something. I don't know that had me start playing with fire. At a yeah. very young age, because I wasn't making a conscious choice to drink. No, and like I, I said, I didn't have, I didn't get the physical effect of alcohol at that time. I didn't drink enough to have that physical effect, even as a kid. But I, for me, I think it was just fitting in. Fitting in. I want to yep. be. I want to do what you all are doing. Yeah. 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 Uh, stealing a beer out of refrigerators, that kind of stuff. I started, you know, progressing to doing a little of that, you know, but mm-hmm. it'd only be one and it'd be for showing off in front of my cousins. Right. You know, that would be yeah. why I was doing it. <laughs> I want to look cool. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was interesting to me that I couldn't get them to do what I was doing, you know, 
get one too. Mm-mm. You know, oh, no I see. Way. I hung out with all the kids that did the same thing. <laughs> my cousins and stuff was warning me off that. Now later on in life, we were all drank beer together and did a lot of fun stuff together. You know, but and then yeah. when we were still children, they weren't they weren't they weren't wanting to play with that. And that's another one of those things that I that I wonder about this just how powerful this disease is, and if mm-hmm. it's not somehow or another leading you uh, in this destructive way. It's going, come here. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, when I look back on my life, like it was really inevitable that I was going to have a drink of alcohol at some point in at my some life. Point, yeah. um, You're not going to escape it at some point. It's a kid going to be there. It was a, always there. It was never, like I said, it was never and didn't create any negative consequences in my household. Um, but it was always there. Dad would have beer every once in a while with dinner. Um, and every time there was a get together of any kind. Uh, there was alcohol. Um, I mean, from weddings to baby showers to <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's alcohol I mean, the, all everywhere. All the Thanksgivings and Easter's and all the kind yes. of family get-togethers, there and was, was always alcohol deal. around. Yes, and it was almost expected as though there was going to be. And people, and I saw people not even wanting to go places that didn't that there wasn't alcohol. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So when did you do you remember the first time you got drunk? So I remember um, my middle school years were tough. So there was a lot of bullying. Mm. Um, and I think it was. As, as, as though uh, you were bullied. Yes. Um, so which then help, didn't help that perception of people don't like me. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to fit in. Um, and I'm sure a lot of that had to do with just trying so hard to fit in. And when you try really hard, you're really going to be annoying. So, <laughs> so I'm sure there was a lot of that too. So, um, so in middle school, I, um, was really, that's really all I ever focused on was trying to fit in. And so I think it was my eighth grade year. Um, My parents, like I said, my sister was three years older than me, and she was not a drinker. She was not a partier. She had friends that were drinkers and partiers, but she wasn't. So my parents were said, we're going to go away for the weekend. I don't remember where they went. I didn't care. Um, Carrie looked at me, my sister, and said, let's have a party. And I'm like, okay, let's have a party. So... um, she ended up having to work that night, but all her friends came over. Yeah. And then, um, and I did have a couple of good friends at that time who came over. And so I had two friends and she had like 20 friends that all came over. And I don't even know if she knew them all, um, but they brought liquor and they brought a lot of it. And they all, they all got very drunk. Um, the beginning of the night, um, so it was kind of before everybody got there. There was a couple of guys in the neighborhood that I was like infatuated with yeah. and they would come over all the time. And, you know, I mean, they were not much older than me, one to two years older than me. And, um, you know, they I learned later on in life that they were also successful in this program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Oh. <laughs> um, but there was an assault. So I was assaulted um, oh. early in the night. Um, because I was thinking, oh, they are cool, right? So they, I'm going to let them know that my parents are gone 
and so they were in walking distance of the house so they came over and i'm pretty sure they were intoxicated because mm. i don't know how they could have done what they did yeah. without being intoxicated yeah. um just with the whole tearing of the house so i was terrified i was like well, everything's going to be broken everything's going to be tore up um so they were t they tore up the house and assaulted me carrie was gone and um so when her friends came over and they had a lot of alcohol in the house and I want again fit in, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and I'm traumatized. So when you when my friends that I didn't even know drank brought alcohol, um, I took it and I liked it. And I realized and I it was the first time I got drunk and I wanted to feel that way all the time. Cause it got me out of me yeah. and I didn't have to think about anything. My every anxiety that I ever had was gone and I wanted to feel like that all the time. Yep. It's like the magic key or something. Yes. That when I finally yes. figured out what, what would take that uneasy feeling yeah. off of me. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And yeah. I didn't even feel, I didn't even feel hung over the next day. Didn't you? Um, so that was even better. Right. No, yeah. I was hung over every day after that, that I drank. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why it was the first time. Um, and maybe I just didn't even drink a lot. Maybe I didn't even get real, real drunk. Um, and maybe it was just enough feeling to make me feel better, um, at the time. So yeah, I overshot the mark the very first time and, and was hung over and, you know, and it's still, you know, and I, I did that, you know, I, I remember thinking that I, why would he might do this? This feels horrible. And oh my gosh, I loved it. After that, <laughs> hey, I want it again. You know, yeah. hey, when can we do this again? Yeah, yeah. So I uh, did you escape that? There was a party at your house. Did you get away with it? So we almost did. So some of the girls decided about I don't know maybe two a.m. that they were going to go TP this girl's house wow. and invited me to come along. And so these are, I'm in eighth grade. These are juniors in high school. I'm not going to say no. Yeah. Right. My biggest goal in life is to fit in. right? <laughs> so yes, absolutely. I want to go. Um, what I didn't know is that they had brought all kinds of um, other things besides toilet paper, like eggs and shaving cream. Um, and probably a lot of other things I didn't even know they had. And they uh, vandalized the outside of their home. Mm. And so, um, so my parents came home um, on Sunday. Everything was fine. Everything was cleaned up. Um, there was nothing. Thankfully, there wasn't anything uh, broken that they saw when they came home. And they did not know we had a party. But on Wednesday night, about 9 p.m., the police called the house and say, do you have a Lisa? And mom said, no, but we have a Lindsay. And so uh, busted. Mm. So because they had called because they had trying to figure out who vandalized the door, the front door that needed to now be, um, they need a new door because they ruined their whole door. Mm. Um, so mom had me, you know, I had to go over there and apologize. I had to go to the police station. Um, so for a long time in my home, I was, I was kind of defined as the criminal, right? Mm, so yeah. <laughs> I was the criminal. Um, because I mean, you know, my sister never, uh, like I said, she wasn't a partier. So I'm 14 years old and I'm already getting in trouble. So they don't know what to do, yeah. uh, but they have no idea what happened either. And I didn't tell them for another two years mm. what happened. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think the night that I finally told my mother what happened that night, what really happened that night, um, 
So I got she stopped, she stopped calling me a criminal. I think she felt a little she felt a little guilty. <laughs> but um, that fourteen yeah. year old is uh, you know this is coming up on like two hundred of these things I've done, and uh, that fourteen year old mm-hmm. pops up over and over yeah. and over and over about when people are are yeah. starting to mess around with this stuff. Mm-hmm. I have a fourteen year old daughter now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a sixteen year old son. Um, God bless you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what? How did things progress? Did you, did you just put it down for a while, or did you um, keep on chasing that? Like, so I kept on chasing it. Um, I mean, I said that night I I felt like I want to do this as much as I can. It wasn't that I immediately thought I need to do this all the time, every day, and I need to be drunk every minute of every day. I didn't even look at that as an option. Um, I mean, I was 14. It's really not. I really, yeah. Like, so. But when but, I can, I'm going to. Yeah. But when I can, I'm going to. And so then it began every weekend, really. Yep. So mm-hmm. when I got together with my friends and and it started out as it's not if we're going to drink, it's where we're going to drink. And that just kept going. So I didn't think I was any different than anybody else. Um, it other like people, everybody's doing it. Because everybody was, you know, everybody around me, <laughs> like yeah, everybody yeah. I hung out with. Yeah. Looks like everybody was doing, doing this. Right. And so in the in the couple of girls that weren't got to be the DD. So it was just it all worked out. You know, you always had a couple of girls that didn't really drink. Um, I had a friend who her dad was an alcoholic and she just said, nope, I'm not drinking. And so she just was our DD every weekend. Hmm. So, um that's a real interesting point too. Of, you know, mm-hmm. the the if I look across the landscape back then of par- people that had parents that were that had alcoholic parents that teetotaled mm-hmm. that said no way am I touching it right and you know but there was other ones that where it went the total opposite direction yeah, went right and followed in their parents' footsteps yep. mm-hmm. and you know and mm-hmm. clean cut parents you know so there's no formula mm-hmm. there. It's yeah. one of the things that you know raising kids is really. Uh, driving home this whole powerless idea of, you know, this really doesn't, I'm really convinced that it doesn't matter a lot about what I do, really. I mean, I need to be the example of who I am today. Mm -hmm. I need to be, but that's not going to prevent my children from walking down that path. Sure. Uh, Mm -hmm. And there's nothing that would have stopped me. There's nothing that could have. You're going to sneak around and do the things that you do. and find a way did you do uh i don't you know and i have probably some kind of funny perception i'm a little bit familiar with jasper uh but i'm thinking the outdoors might have been a place that we we went to go drink lots of field parties yes lots of field parties um and it really it really surprises me now when i think back and every weekend somebody's parents went out of town Mm -hmm. i'm just like why were they going out of town (laughs) bad idea um (laughs) And and I think a lot of it we were very it's very seldom did we ever get caught, but I didn't have you know I, the when I was young I was grounded a lot, and the only reason I was ever grounded was because of I have lies and I would lie, mm. and the whole point of a consequence to lying is to get you to not lie anymore, but that's not how I perceived it. My thought was, I gotta get better at lying yeah. so I just don't get caught, and so yeah. I worked on getting really good at lying, Yeah. Um, and I lied all the time, and um, I think there's a part in the big book that talks about um, Figuring out the difference between the truth and the false. Yeah, I mean, I had been lying for so long. The truth and the false. Yeah. 
that I, I had convinced myself of some of these, you know, mm-hmm. all these lies. And so I can convince you because I'm convinced. Yeah, yeah. we do. So. We turn into mm-hmm. consummate liars that where we mm-hmm. can tell you, look, you right straight in the face and mm-hmm. without, and even to the people we love the most and, and yes. give them a blatant lie without right. blinking an eye. Right. And it wasn't about that I didn't respect other people. I didn't respect myself. I mean, I just, this is just how it was. I mean, it was this way. It had been this way for half of my life. I mean, I just, if I, if I need you to believe me and I need you to like me. And so if you find out that I lied, then you're not going to like me anymore. And that's not an option. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because when I then when I did start drinking at 14 years old and I hung out with all the people that did drink, I fit in. So as long as I had the beer can in my hand, mm-hmm. regardless, and I learned that regardless if I was drunk or not drunk, I fit in and people yeah. talk to me. Yeah, yeah. I listen to one of my very favorite speakers talks in uh, Earl H. And he says something about when he was first offered uh, something you know, a joint or something, you know, he said, you know, it wouldn't have mattered if they'd asked him, invited me to go kill the Spanish teacher. I'd have said yes, because right. I wanted to be in with those people so bad. It didn't, it didn't really matter the, what they yeah. had on them made no difference. It was Mm-mm. that I wanted to fit in. I yeah. wanted to be part of, and I will do whatever it takes. Yeah. 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 I'll, your, I'll be scared when I do it, but I'll do it. <laughs> I, can, I remember the struggle, you know, and did you get any smoke a pot and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff at that time too? This is a recovery yeah. podcast. We don't have any yeah. uh, lines that we have to follow in here. We tell our true stories yeah. and how they went. Oh, sure. Uh, no filters. Uh, because I found that the drugs and stuff was somewhat easier to get because, you know, the drug dealer sure. didn't ask you for an ID. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it was yeah. the liquor stores. I had to really had to jump some hoops a lot of times to get liquor. Yes. Uh, we'd stand yeah. down there and wait and try to get people to buy it for us as they're going in. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I always had a friend or two that, you know, had the full beard in the eighth grade that could go and mm-hmm. wasn't quite as stringent as it is today on mm-hmm. uh, on the buying restrictions. So yep. if you looked like you were old enough, we knew the liquor stores that would sell it. Yeah. And I know some of them were being unscrupulous. They just would mm-hmm. sell it to whoever came in. They yeah. It didn't matter to him. I never got to do that, but I didn't really, I think I just found other ways. I was the chameleon. So I don't want just this group of people to like me. I want everybody to like me. So I was friends with several different groups of people. And I'm sure every high school is very clicky, but it was very clicky. (laughs) And so I wanted to be, I was friends with almost every click of group of, you know, some closer than others, but, um, I just wanted to be everybody's friend. Um, and I, and I need to do what you do in order for you to like me. And yep. so um, some of those things I like to do more than others, right? So if I hang out with this friend one, this weekend, we're going to get drunk and we're going to go to the basketball game wasted. Um, and if, with this group of people, I'm going to go hang out the next weekend and we're going to wear a Grateful Dead and we're going to smoke pot all weekend. So yeah. I don't, it, I didn't discriminate. Like <laughs> if you wanted to hang out with me, I would, was going to hang out with you. It comes down to that root thing. You know, I just wanted to be loved. Mm-hmm. I wanted to feel loved. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. So badly that I would pretty much do whatever to, yeah. and order, even if so they feel oh, like that. Yeah. And no, it didn't matter how uncomfortable I felt. Yeah. Yeah. So you kept on drinking through high school, kept any consequences, any? Yeah, I uh, drank through high school. There really wasn't any consequences um, at all. I um, I got through school, but it was my goal. Like I said, I, I my goal was really just to get through 
and um, good student. Okay, tried. I tried. So my high school years, I I tried really hard, and I but I also cheated a lot. But mm-hmm. I everybody was kind of cheating. <laughs> so there we go again. Everybody's yeah, cheating. everybody's cheating, right? So some people get caught, some don't. Um, I just learned not to get caught. So I would have classes that would have study halls before the class, and all the workbooks would go around, and everybody would just copy. One person will do it, and the rest would copy. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's tons of cheating going on. So I learned to lie, and I learned to cheat, and yep, uh, to get what I needed. Yeah. Um, write the so, answers on my hand and on other little sneak pieces of paper or whatever I needed to do in order because right. I did learn that if I kept my grades up, I stayed. Nobody really looked at me sideways. Was, I could get away with a lot as long as yes. I was doing okay in school. Yes, I was. Like I said, I was a chameleon, right? So I need to look like I'm a good kid, mm-hmm. and so I never really understood. I always, not that I didn't understand, I didn't agree with um i don't even know if agree is the right word i didn't i was like all big on like i don't judge anybody i don't because i like everybody i don't care if you're gothic i don't care if you're preppy i don't care if you smoke pot i don't care if you drink i don't care i just want you to like me it's really crazy but i remember thinking i had some gothic friends and thinking they all all of the teachers are now looking at you like you're a hoodlum and they're waiting for you to get like to get in trouble but i will dress nice so i just don't i just fit in right so um i think i was my sophomore year maybe my sophomore junior year there was um I was in a class and it was passing period and it was geometry class and the teacher was like one of the most strict teachers um, in the whole school and she always stood outside her door and this kid picked on, said something, I'm sure, I don't know if he was flirting or just picking on me or whatever. And so I punched him and she walked in and he said, she just punched me. And she looked at him and said, Lindsay wouldn't do that. She's a good kid. Yeah. And just walked by. And, I, and he was like, I can't. Like, I, you just got away with that. I got away with things. Um, I would go to practice, even when I did play softball, I would go to practice high. And, I mean, I didn't, I looked high. Like, I was the, I was white, a sheet of white, and my eyes were bright red, and nobody paid attention. Hmm. Nobody asked anything. I would show up late and the coach would just say, just get on the field. Like she wouldn't ask any questions. So I never got caught. I never got in trouble. Um, so I just always thought, oh, I'll get away with it. Yeah. Right. So um, so I did a lot of dumb things, <laughs> but I never got caught. And so um, I would tell you that when I was getting high and stuff at my, you know, at those times, I would tell you my abilities were increased. I was better. When mm-hmm. I was high, you know, uh, that would help me. Now, I wouldn't drink when I was doing that, but getting high was certainly something I felt like increased all everything mm-hmm. I did. I thought it helped me at school. I thought yeah. it helped me in the sports. Uh, yeah, I did. I tried. Um, what well, did relaxed me. It got yeah. my, you know, it, it lowered my anxiety and stuff, and that way I could yeah. perform a little better because I wasn't so damned anxious about everything. Yeah. I did try meth meth one time, um, loved it. I was up for three days, thought it was the best thing on earth, and I wanted more. Um, I got more. I bought more, and the whole thing didn't even – I think they were messing with me, and it was a whole scam, and it didn't even work. And so I just never – 
then I just never did it gave again. Up on that. I just gave up on that and went to the things that were around me all the time. So yeah. um, pretty grateful for that because yeah. I could have gotten addicted yeah, to that, that real be, fast. Yeah. Um, real, real fast. So. I don't know how long. I, at some point in my 20s, I had a meth run. and mm-hmm. you know, I got tricked into thinking it was cocaine. Is what I thought it was. Yeah. The first and they called all it. kinds of words. And I'm like, crank I don't. Crank was one of them. Yeah. That's yeah. What, we, what, what they called it around here. No, that's, that's what it was. Cocaine. That's crank. what they called it. Yeah, yep. Because I said, after I got done, I was like, that's just a little different. And he's like, oh, yeah, dude, that's not coke. That's crank. Like, yeah. Well, huh. I don't know. But it didn't take me long to go, yeah, hey, I like yeah. that. Yes. Yeah. So after being up for three days, I was really I to drink. not Go. happy for, for a few days after that, after coming off on that. But I, um, like I said, I grew up in a home that was just very functional. There was not anything, any abuse. Um, it was very healthy. Um, so it wasn't about where, if I was going to go to college, it was where. And so, um, okay, what do you, you know, people are like, well, what are you going to do? And I decided that I wanted to be a social worker at 15 years old. Hmm. And I am a social worker today. So at 15 years old, it was, it was, um, I, I, I'm saying that it was the healthiest decision (laughs) because if you can't help yourself, just go try to help other people. Right. (laughs) But that was, I just, I wanted other people I wanted to help other people and I think it's because I needed so much help I needed help with so many things and I just didn't feel comfortable asking so they called me the counselor all my friends you know oh, really? I was the counselor so if you need any, any problems just go to Lindsay she'll listen she'll help you yeah so um, at 15 years old on it was that way um, but I never could ask for help because I'm the helper yeah. right so that's my thing and that's another way for you to like me because if, if I listen to you and there's not a there isn't a lot of good listeners in the world they're just no, they're not, not. Nope. especially in high school yep. <laughs> so um, so that's people came to me for things that they wouldn't come to other people about and I just felt um, you know I just felt useful I don't, yeah yeah that's kind of my it was like it, like I said it was my thing yeah. Yeah, it sounded like it came natural to you. And then, you know, I do look at some of this stuff about being, I think we're wired for stuff, you know, and a lot Mm -hmm. of people struggle to find what they're wired for, you know. They're in some kind of business or they're in something that doesn't really fit fit them and they know it because it's like, again, it's like swimming upstream or something all the time. Yeah, I think the empathy that I had for other people was just the understanding of, I know I, like I really needed help. I mean, I suffered from, and I know tonight today that even back then there was a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety. There was some PTSD for a couple of years after that experience, after the, you know, some of the trauma. Um, and I really needed help, but I didn't know how to ask for it. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, that's you know, that, what's that's the whole big chunk of what we do here in mm-hmm. twelve steps is coming yeah. to that point where you're willing to ask for some help. Yeah, right. So I did go to college, and I went. Um, I ended up at ISU, and I went straight into for to get my degree for social work, and I was there for four years and got my bachelor's in social work. At Terre Haute. Terre Haute. I um, when I went there, the first couple months were really tough. Um, because like I said, I was like the chameleon. So depending on who I'm hanging out with is who I am today. Yeah. It's a whole new landscape. I yeah. Gotta figure out. Right. So 
you know, I had to fi- I had to figure everybody out. Um, and it took a while. So um, when I did, I remember the first night, it was on a Friday night, and there were some girls that were getting ready to go to a fraternity party, and they invited me. And, uh, and I thought, don't screw this up. Hmm. And um, so we all got ready, and I went with them, and I'm real quiet because I'm like, I don't know these girls real well, but... Um, Got to observe what's yeah, going on here. Right. So, but they went straight for the alcohol, which is great. Yeah. So. <laughs> I like that move. Yes. So from then on, it was fine. I was fine. Yeah. <laughs> I fit right in and I fit with the, who the people that wanted to go party and wanted to go hang out. Um, and so there, it continued to be party after party. Um, but I think I also had... I had to play the part. So I have to, um, like my dad said, he said, if you don't get at least a B average, you're paying for everything. You're Mm. paying for your college. And that terrified me because even back then I had this financial insecurity Mm. of I'm going to live under the bridge in a cardboard box. Um, And I, so I had a really, and I didn't get good grades in high school. Even with all the cheating, I really did not get <laughs> but I learned, I think, in in college that my I'm actually smarter than what I thought because mm. you can't cheat when you're. I mean, I couldn't cheat as a freshman. I didn't know anybody. Who am I going to cheat off of? Um, and, and please holler if you need more or anything oh, at I'm all. Oh, I'm good. Yeah. So I learned that I was smarter than what I thought, um, and so I was terrified of flunking out, and so I really tried. So I made it through college. Um, and I got my social work degree, and I thought, well, and everybody's trying to convince you to go to graduate school. So I went to graduate school um, right after that and got my master's in social work. Um, oh. And um, there was really, that was really uneventful, I think, that year. Um, but when I got done and I had my degree and I found a job right out of co- right out of college um, in high schools and I was 20 let's see I guess I was 23 years old working in the same high school that I went to oh really and another one so we went to two different ones and um, I was absolutely terrified because in my head I know absolutely nothing like I remember getting my bachelor's thinking I don't know anything like I have to go get my master's I don't know anything like mm-hmm. I don't even know what to do with people how do I like <laughs> I'm gonna screw everybody up <laughs> and so after I got my my uh went to graduate school and got my master's I still thought I don't know anything mm. um so I'm gonna screw them all up and so I was just terrified that every single kid that walked in my office I was just gonna make her life worse <laughs> so um I I uh, quickly learned I probably wasn't going to screw any of them up too badly. Um, I learned that um, everybody's, everybody's, I mean, I knew at that point, like everybody in the world has issues of something. Like I don't, I mean, I truly believe that there is no body that has this perfect life. They might on the outside, um, but not on the inside. And what's, you know, we don't know what happens between behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. So, um, I was a year, I think it was a year after that, a year or two, I, 
Um, I was still going out and I was still partying on the weekends, but I was working during the week and I was able to manage that. Um, there was a ton of anxiety though. There was a ton of anxiety, a ton of irritability. Mm. Um, I probably should have stopped working there after a couple of years. I was so irritable all the time. I, I probably, um, may have done some damage and I know I burned some bridges. Hmm. Um, you think, uh, I think that's like from loading up with everybody's problems and not really being able to yeah i think there was some secondary trauma as well as not dealing with my own you know like i said i mean there was all these um i mean i needed help a long time ago and i never asked for it so yeah. i can't ask for any anybody yeah, now yeah, like i'm supposed now, to be the therapist the right like I'm, <laughs> I'm supposed to be the professional i'm someone that's supposed to have it all together so i just have to look like i have it all together but yeah. inside just crumbling and not even knowing that i'm crumbling because i had felt that way for so long i didn't even and know that was that wasn't normal yeah. to feel that way um i had a friend one of my best friends um who when i was a social worker of the high school and she was working in the middle school in this as a special ed teacher and me and her had been friends since high school so we were um she was probably my best friend for many years mm-hmm. and um she started having some medical issues um, a lot of pain management and um like I said, we hung out all the time. We drank on the weekends. We never got in trouble. We never got caught. We were always pretty smart about the, um, her career was important to her and my career was important to me. I didn't have a desire of getting married and having kids. I never did. Um, not that I wouldn't have gotten married. Obviously I did, but I didn't it wasn't my life goal. One of those high I think. priority things. That yeah. Are. So a lot of girls, they couldn't wait to get a degree. They get married, have kids, let's and live happily ever yeah, after. Start and the I was boxes. like, I don't want that. Like I didn't, I didn't even feel comfortable with that. I didn't even know if I ever wanted kids. Hmm. Um, so my career was really important. So I did try to f- try to finagle how not to get in trouble. Right. Like how do I not get a DUI? How do I not get a PI? How do I not get some charges at some point yeah. because there was just so Manage much alcohol stuff, all the time. Yeah, to stay out of trouble, you know. Yeah, it's how do I not stay like, out of trouble? Uh, what you were saying earlier about uh, watching and, and learning how not to get in trouble. I, yeah. I can't remember exactly where your line was there, but that was a theme yeah. in my life too, mm-hmm. was to uh, always to learn to do it better. Instead yeah. Of li- the lying. Yeah. Is that, how do I do it better so I don't get caught? Here too, so how do I do this mm-hmm. better so I don't end up getting caught, don't get in trouble? And yeah. Like one of my you know core driving forces, and it falls under the category of fear, is the f- mm-hmm. fear of getting in trouble. Yeah. I'm going to get in trouble, whether it's with mom or with the law yeah. or with the basketball coach or yeah. or even later on in life, my mate. How can I not? All yeah. I'm going to do is don't get in trouble with I don't her. want anybody to be disappointed in me. Yeah. And I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want, I had worked so hard um, to get where I was and to have the job I had in the degree. Like I don't, the last thing I wanted to do was ruin it. Yeah. Um, and I knew that getting arrested would absolutely do that. Yeah. So how do I not get arrested? Prote- protecting my image, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm working in a school, you, it is, it is applied that you have to care about your image. Like you have to look the part you have to not do these things um so i was a smoker i smoked but i had to be a closet smoker so i was a closet smoker for many many years um because you know it's just bad for teenagers to think that you're smoking if you're working in high school so you just don't tell everybody that you don't smoke and you just just, you just hide it and i hid i smoked for 14 years and hit it every day (laughs) 
Um, the tobacco would have been my gateway drug. That would have mm -hmm. been my first high, my first head change, really. It's talking about that other stuff, and I talk about a first drunk that I had, but stealing mom's cigarette and smoking one of those was the first time that I was yeah. going, wow, this changed everything. But that was really short-lived, you know, because your buzz don't last long on that stuff. <laughs> right. And, right. And, and the next thing you know, you're hooked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Um, so anyway, so we and her hung out, and um, like I said, I was always irritable. I had a, some medical conditions happen. I had um, some mono that I never got taken care of, and I had a chronic fatigue, and I didn't know, so I didn't know what was happening or why I was feeling so terrible all the time. I just knew that I had no energy, and I felt really lethargic all the time. But I wasn't allowed to do that. Like, I'm single. Like, I have bills to pay I don't have time to be sick and I want to go to the bar so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just pushed it push 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 all the time and just push myself all the time um, one night I was so um, it was New Year's Eve and I felt so terrible that I honestly like could not I could not I didn't have enough energy to get ready uh, but like I said my friend um, who worked in the middle school she was also having a lot of medical issues and she couldn't go anywhere either and so she said well if you can make it over to my house then maybe we could hang out you can have one couch I'll have the other and we can just like be so hang out together. together yeah and um, I was like okay and I did and I, I ended up in the car with my pajamas on got in the car and went to her house and um and we hung out together and she asked me if i wanted a, a lower tab mm. and i said sure anything to make me feel better right so um i had used lower tabs before just in surgeries i had my knee surgery i had um, my gallbladder removed i had used them before but never did it give me that high um and i had the same experience than I did when I first drank alcohol uh, physically. It was, I want to feel like this all the time. And I, I was a puker. So if I drank the next day, I would throw up for like eight hours. Really? Like I said, I didn't have that the first time I drank, but after that, it was eight hours the next day, just dry heaving all day. Yeah. But I would do it again yeah, and wow. again and again and yeah, again, right? The power of this. It's like, I am determined, right? I'm determined. And um, so as soon as I feel better, then I'll start going out and I'll just start going out again. Um, but with the pills, I didn't have that hangover and I had the same, the same feeling of, I want to feel like this all the time. Yeah. And that was the time that with the pills is when I felt like I could do everything better. Yep. Like I wasn't irritable anymore. I was calm. I thought I could drive better. Like I'm, I don't have any road rage, right? Y'all can drive however you want. I'm good. <laughs> um, so I wanted to feel like that all the time. So she had somehow it ended up where she did give me some every once in a while. Um, and by the time she refused to give them to me anymore, um, I, I was addicted. And so I would try to figure out how I was going to get them. And I tried to lie and manipulate my way to get have where, whenever I could, right? So if a friend had them in her cabinet, how am I going to go to her house? How am I going to talk to her? I talked to a friend one day on her kitchen table for three hours till she got up and used the bathroom so I could take That's her pills that were in the cabinet. Um, I'll do anything. Dad had dad had a surgery. Oh, I'll take care of him. I'll t I'll go get his medicines for him before you know. Well, you know, you, know, you take him home. I'll get his meds. I'll be helpful. Yeah, and those so those things are what took me to my. Uh, what I say it hyper accelerated my alcoholism. Definitely, absolutely, definitely. Um, 
I think that it, don't get me wrong, I think that the alcoholism is progressive. It would have absolutely um, gotten, more, gotten worse, but I do think that the pain pills, yeah, just accelerated, accelerated it. it. I mean, it just took took me fa- faster. Yeah, because what they, you know, it was just like every other drug that I do, and I, at one point I stopped smoking pot because it was a, it was a deterrent to my drinking. Mm-hmm. You know, it put me down. You know, I could smoke some pot to end the night, like as a nightcap. Yeah, uh, I like and, that and too. That would be okay. Yep. But, uh, <laughs> it's sleep like a baby. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but I didn't want to do that at eight p.m. You know, it's mm-hmm. way too early. Yeah, you know, that it's gonna take mm-hmm. my butt. And so I like stuff that brought me up and allowed me to drink and allowed me to stay part of the party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and pain pills did that for me. It yeah, didn't, you know, my dad lives with me. At a point, he lives up there in, uh, upstairs at my house, and okay. and he'll have one, and he'll be on the couch. He'll take a five milligram lower tab, and he's on the couch for the rest of the day. You know, mm-hmm. I take one, and I'm raking the leaves and cleaning yes! the house. And yes, I my apartment was spotless um, a lot. <laughs> I did not want to sleep. Sleeping was the last thing I wanted to do. Yeah. I didn't. Um, prolong those buzzes at night that pain pill yeah. buzz uh, that mm-hmm. nodding off thing where you're yep. but you do but till just one or two sleep till like crazy and it's it you know, it like and i didn't want to go again. to sleep on the bus mm-hmm. I, I wanted i wanted to milk every yes. second of it every second absolutely yeah so i uh i didn't be, but because of what i did for a living and that I didn't have a doctor prescribing them to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's where a lot of uh, the lying and the manipulation I had to get good at because it's if I'm going to be able to feel that way again, I'm going to have to f- do that because I don't have a doctor that I can go and manipulate and get a, get a script from. Um, and, you know, working in the field, you people have reputations and I could not afford to get a reputation as a doctor, a doctor hopper. And so it's a small town. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody knows everybody. Um, so I ended up, um, I had worked there for four years. I also worked for a domestic, in domestic violence at the same time doing that part-time. Um, but my full-time job in the high schools was ending because the grant was ending. Mm. And so, again, I'm absolutely terrified. Like, what am I going to do? Um, I don't, you know, how am I going to pay my bills? You know, who am I? Right. Like this is my identity. And I think a part of that was my parents did the same job from 18 years old till they retired. Um, so I, I thought that's the way it was supposed to be. I thought everybody just worked and did the same thing until retirement. Right. So what does this mean about, what does this mean for me? Now I have to find something else. It was terrifying. Um, so interestingly enough, um, I was at a training and there was this girl behind me that was listening to me talking to somebody else about the grant ending. And I was going to, you know, looking for another job. And, um, and she said, Hey, she said, um, you know, she was talking to me and she said, I work at Branchville Correctional Facility and we're looking for substance abuse counselors. And um, I didn't know, I honestly did not know at the time that I had a substance abuse problem. I didn't look at myself that way. Mm. Um, I just, I didn't see myself, I didn't see other people as bad that were doing those things, but I didn't see myself as having a problem and I never got caught, right? I went to work every day. I had my license. I was never in jail. I 
paid my bills on time. I took care of everything. Um, and so, That's you know, it was like, you know, I'm just functional. I right? got, I'll joke around a little bit about it. I had 2.3 kids. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been married for a long time. Have this nice house. I've had a mm-hmm. job for 20-something years. Yeah. You can't have a problem Mm-mm. and have all that. No, no. And I, like I said, my idea of an alcoholic was my grandfather. So that, I... Yep. I didn't know. Yep. Yep. I wasn't. Yeah. And to this day, you know, that's a, that's a, uh, has come home to roost in, in that I know today I still can't really see me. That's why I need this program and a sponsor mm-hmm. and people because yeah. I can't see myself. Yeah. Still. Yeah. Uh, I need other people to help me see me. Yeah. But I ended up uh, getting that job. So I <laughs> was working at a medium security male prison as a substance abuse counselor in their therapeutic community where there's 240 inmates in a dorm who are all getting sober and all getting, trying to get recovery. Um, and I'm one of the seven counselors. And, uh, That's interesting that dynamic. was interesting, right? You're not the first person that I've heard. Say that too, you <laughs> yeah. know? And I did. I was like, nobody's going to get this. I, I remember going to my first meeting and they said, what do you do? And I said, Oh, I'm a substance counselor at, at Branchville. And they were like, what? Yeah. Um, so I, there was the AA, steps and traditions were hanging from the day room and mm. they were humongous and i remember thinking looking at that one day and thinking i'm so glad i'm not an alcoholic because those are look really hard and i don't want to do them <laughs> um, because i didn't see myself as the same mm-hmm. um you know i didn't look at these men as though they were horrible people but i looked at them as though they were di- i was different than they were um, these were, you know, in my mind, like these are hardcore addicts, right? Like they've given up everything. They've been incarcerated multiple times. Like they've given up absolutely everything. I haven't lost anything. So, yet. um, yet, absolutely. So, but I do remember, um, one day I was sitting, I had to, did a small group. So we were in this like 10 by 10 room and they would be like, you know, you're sitting there with 10 10 guys and you're doing an hour group and um it was never i mean i did it for for a long time and i really really loved it for a while um it was really such an awesome experience but i remember sitting there and thinking if there was a bottle of percocet on the floor i would fight them for it i wouldn't win but i would absolutely try (laughs) to get them and i thought that's not normal like people don't think that way but that's then that's as far as that thinking went. And I know I couldn't tell anybody that. Right. Um, and I remember thinking there was a moment of clarity, I think one night where I was like, I'm not going to be able to stop until there's consequences. But then that was that was it that the end of my thinking, I didn't think about what those consequences could be. And I just kept doing it. And I didn't have the opportunity to have them all the time. Yeah. So and there was always stealing them. Is that yeah, so I'm you... stealing them. Um, yeah, pretty much uh, wherever I wherever I could. I, I started making up stuff and getting scripts, you know, and telling my doctor and this and that. I was and, just too scared to do that. Stuff. Oh, I was really yeah. frightened to do it too, and I was really mm-hmm. careful about it, but I still did. And uh, mm-hmm. and you know, it's funny that you know I would get a MRI that would you know, and I thought my the gig was up. You know, the doctors, well, we need to do an MRI. You know, we need to see what's going on. 
And then I'm thinking, well, I'm going to go along with it because I don't know how not to, you know. And, <laughs> and then and I got an MRI that said I did have brack issues, you know, and I like golden ticket kind of thing, you know, like, yeah, all right. Right, <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Thank the you, jackpot. God, for the, for the back problem, you know. <laughs> and, uh, I just hit the jackpot, the lottery. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that sad? But I couldn't yeah. I couldn't get the scripts into the level that I started taking them, you know. Mm. I, my, yeah. It started getting to be just, just like alcoholism did, it, you know, I was going on weekends and then it collapsed on my life collapsed on me and the next thing yeah. i know i'm doing them every day and and i needed them every day to function after a while yeah. but i did a you know i'd say if, if i came to your house and you had pills you didn't have them when i left yeah and i would have because i didn't i only took enough that you might not notice well i would try to do that plus but i would come back next time and come back oh next yeah time. i would and just keep coming back gone until right, until, until, right eventually they're gone but nobody yeah, but, yeah i usually didn't empty anybody out either yeah. you know one of the things i loved is when i would get a script and would have a really old date on it because i really did have some kind of scruples that i didn't want to be taking your current medication yeah i didn't you know? care i i i, yeah. I felt i it wouldn't have made yeah. a difference to me it yeah. just made me feel better, better about what i was doing was sure yeah. Well, I did. There was a couple of people that were like, you know, they hated them and they just had, you know, like the girl that I sat in her with her at her kitchen table for three hours chit chatting with her until she went to the bathroom. She was, she hated them. So I knew she'd never use them. Yeah, so she's people, not going to, they make my stomach hurt. Care, they right? make me nauseated. They make, you know, different kind of constipated, you know, and doing all that. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, give them to me. So I, um, I manipulated a lot of people out yeah. of their pills like that. Yeah. Um, so I might, like I said, my best friend who was given to me that wasn't anymore, and I was stealing from her mm-hmm. and uh, for about two years, and Does she, she figured it out, but she didn't talk to me about it. Um, so she waited until she was had a like a there was a party they were having. I think there was a baby shower or something. So there was like twenty thirty people there, and she made a scene in front of everybody to call me out. Oh wow! So I had no idea that she knew, and um, so it was. You know, that wasn't humbling. That was humiliating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't, you know, I, I, and even at that point, like I, you know, I think there's a lot of people that, that like, oh my gosh, I would have been so mad at her. And I'm like, I knew I was the problem. Like I was stealing from her. I didn't, you know, and I, and I really don't think that I would have stopped unless something really hit me mm-hmm. because in my brain, well, my first thought, and this is my attic thought said, She's never going to hang out with you again. She hates your guts. Mm. So just take everything she has and go. And then my second thought was, that's not normal. I may have a problem. Mm. Um, and, it, you know, by the time I'm like, maybe they don't know it's me. Because she didn't call my name. She just said it, oh, right? Really? Like, maybe they don't. Oh, okay. like, maybe they don't. Maybe they don't know it's me. So I'm like, I literally hung out there for a while hoping that nobody would know it was me. And, of course, everybody knew it was me. But, um, but in my, then, you know, I also thought I was like, the, the, the gig is up, right? So I live in a small town. I work in the high schools. Her dad was, um, the head honcho in one of the big factories that my dad, um, was working at mm. and, um, everybody's going to know. And I think that was my biggest fear was everybody's going to find out. Yes. I didn't want to lose my career, my job. That was a, that was big. Don't get me wrong. But my ter- the terrifying piece was everybody's going to find out I've been stealing and lying and using drugs. Um, and how am I going to live like this? How am I going? How don't, I don't know what to do. Um, and so I really just for a little while, um, 
just isolated because I didn't have, I, there was just so much shame. There was so much shame and so much guilt. I don't, how do I go to Walmart? Like, who am I going to run into? Um, and so I didn't. And so I went to, I think I went to the grocery store and I went to work and that was about it for a mm -hmm. long time because it was just terrifying. Mm -hmm. But I, I, um, I thought, okay, I need to, there was a girl, there was another counselor at the prison who I started feeling, I had been there for about seven months and I, and I really trusted her. I don't know why. Um, I felt, I'm sure it was just because of who she was and just kind of watching and, you know, talking to her. Um, I just really trusted her. And so I contacted her and told her what was going on. Mm. And she was so helpful. Um, she had talked to me about her own struggles with um, alcohol and pain pills and her, her history and her story. And she really encouraged me to go to a meeting. And so I actually went to my first, uh, my first meeting was a narcotics anonymous meeting because I didn't know that I had, was an alcoholic, but I knew I was a drug addict. So, um, so I went and I, it was a speaker meeting and that was the meeting where the guy, I was walking in with this guy and he, he was like, oh, are you here for school? They thought um, I was a like student. A, <laughs> nurses, you know, one of the meetings I used to go to, I would have this little flurry of whatever time of the semester that was where we would have two and three <laughs> Yeah, and, right. Because I did, was like, I don't know what people do here. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to look like. So I put on like khakis and a nice shirt and makeup and did my hair. Yeah. <laughs> now I go with my hair up and no makeup and like, who cares, right? Yeah. But at the time, I didn't know. So he, you know, I and like I said, I always look the part. Like, I don't want to look like a drug addict. So I have to look normal. I have to look yep. like a normal person. Yep. Um, so I quickly told him what I did for a living. And that was when the, the reaction was, oh. <laughs> um, so uh, they really encouraged me then to go to Alcoholics Anonymous, too, because, you know, what they said was, there's only a few NA meetings around here, but, and so there's some AA meetings, and we do both because just for our recovery, yep. we need more than just the, the couple of yep. NA Not meetings that NA we have a week. to support the mm -hmm. typical recovery. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, got, uh, I got a sponsor, and of course, of course like I, I need to fit in, right? So I need to do what y'all tell me to do, which really came in handy. So some of my character defects really worked as assets at the beginning because... <laughs> I wanted everybody to be okay. like I, I needed to do this right and I wanted to uh, be to fit in and I wanted you to like me and so whatever my sponsor told me to do that's what I was going to do yeah um, I heard that story a little bit too from somebody not about you but this mm -hmm. compliance you know yes. I'm really good at complying and yeah. so when you give me some things to do and also I want to uh I need to look good yes you know? I need so, to look good so if I'm gonna it really would make any difference if where you put me Mm -mm. I need to I need to look good doing it, and mm -hmm. so I will I will follow yeah. the directions and do yeah. it. And it turns out that that ends up being a really good asset. It, it was it was a good asset, but I also I mean obviously I'm I'm I never wanted to feel like that again, and I would have done about anything. It was like I knew in the feeling of of the yets that feeling of the shame, the shame and the guilt and just feeling like I was two feet tall, um, just terrified. 
Yeah. Um, that guilt, shame, remorse. And yeah. And all, I mean, there was so much anxiety. It was like, I don't ever want to, I don't want to feel like this anymore. Um, and so at that point, I also went and saw my first therapist. Because mm. I remember thinking I needed to, and I almost had made appointments for therapists before, but I just was scared because I was like, I don't, these are my colleagues. People know everybody. Yeah. Right? So um, I don't. That image. Yeah, I got an image to uphold. Um, even though I probably they probably knew I was a wreck, I just um, thought I had to, like you said, an image to uphold. So, um, but I so I went to another they town. They know something's wrong, but they're not so sure what it is. There's just yeah. something not right, especially from people that are in the field. They kind of you, you you get that spotted kind of thing where you can. Go. Yeah. And it's the same thing with being recovered for a while too. You know, I can see yeah. somebody and go. Yeah, but there, but it wasn't like a oh I think she's needs some help. It was, maybe she shouldn't be doing what she, maybe she shouldn't be in this field. in the wrong field. Yeah. Um, So I think that's, you know, I always had that, in that perception of, I always felt that way. I always felt they were looking at me like, you don't really belong here. Um, You belong somewhere else. So, but I did. I went to go see my first therapist in a different town. But I did go see my first therapist, and she was very helpful. And she actually talked to me about the anxiety. And I never even knew I had anxiety. Hmm. Like, I can help you, but I am good, right? And yeah. so I didn't realize that I had felt that that way pretty much all my life. So how do I know that this is wrong? Like, this isn't normal, but that's always the way that I had felt. Um, and so I think in combination with working with her and also working in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I really was able to just jump in because I didn't have a lot of responsibilities, I had a little efficiency apartment, a car, and a job. Like that's, I didn't have a husband, I didn't have kids, I didn't have dogs, I didn't have anything. Like I had me. And so when I got off of work, all I had was time. And so I went to meetings a lot. I went to about um, four to six meetings a week. And my sponsor was super active, super active. And um, she actually was getting her um, master's in social work at this at the time that I had came in to Alcoholics Anonymous and she was about to get her degree and she was looking for a job and we were hiring so I actually worked with my sponsor doing substance abuse <laughs> counseling in a prison for the first for my my first year of sobriety wow. so um we were talking the other day about the whole um work in the steps at like my fifth step was on my way to work and on my way home. Oh, really? Yeah. It was, um, we were always, always talking about recovery. I mean, work was about recovery. Yeah. So there was a, but she was very, she taught me very quickly, like how to separate the two, right? So you mm-hmm. balance it. You're yeah. at work. This is your job. This is not your recovery. Just because you go to a meeting in prison That's as not, the counselor, that is not your meeting for the day. We have really to go to your own. Thing. Yeah, my, my sponsor is a counselor mm-hmm. at a treatment facility in Lowell. And he talks at the same thing of yeah. that. You know, I mean, he basically works in recovery all day long, but that yeah. is not working on his right. recovery. I mean, I did that for seven. I mean, I worked there for seven months before I hit my bottom. So obviously I didn't listen. It wasn't, I never internalized it. It was always about somebody else. Mm -hmm. Um, So I knew the big book. I knew what the step, I knew the steps. I knew traditions. I, I, I knew what it was that I was supposed to do. um, But I had never internalized it as though it was me looking at me. 
Um, so I had at the time I didn't, I had the sponsor I needed yeah. for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. definitely one of the, one of those like you know I think a lot of divine things happen mm-hmm. and once you kind of change your trajectory. There's there's cards that fall in place. Yeah. I, I don't understand that at all, but I love to watch it happen. And oh gosh, yes. I mean, who? I mean, I, I really, you know, I I kind of talk about. Um, you know, my higher power and knowing and being able to see like the trajectory of like my life and how it all went together and how it was all pieced together. I mean, the fact that I was working in a prison as a substance abuse counselor isn't just to me, isn't just, it was the way it was supposed to be. It's not a coincidence. There's actually some guiding hands doing that stuff. I believe that wholeheartedly even, you know, Mm -hmm. and and some of the worst things that happened to me, I think are exactly Mm -hmm. that. And I I know, I know I can say that, you know, I wanted to change that language a little bit, but I know that I was offered some hands long before I was capable of taking one. Mm -hmm. And, and, but I just couldn't, I couldn't reach for it at that time. Yeah. Yeah. There were so many things that I was trying to do, I think, before recovery to heal myself, right? So I'm supposed to know the answers. And so I, I, so I'm reading and I'm trying to fix myself. I'm trying to figure out what's wrong with me. Yeah. Um, and I remember being in school. I mean, I was in school to learn how to be a therapist and learning all the mental health, just mental illnesses in the DSM it was a th- it was the DSM four at the time, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm all of these. Like I just diagnose myself every day. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's me too. Like I was, <laughs> I just thought, oh my gosh, I am so messed up. Um, but I, yeah, everything, everything. I thought I every I thought I had everything except alcoholism. Hmm. That was never something that I thought that, that I had yeah. any had. Yeah. I'll, yeah. Be, I'll sign up for schizophrenia, him. for bipolar. All I was these definitely, I definitely thought I'm, I had all these personality disorders. Yeah. I was OCD. But I am not an alcoholic. I and it wasn't that I didn't. It wasn't. It, it was never but even that a you thought. Were rejecting, rejecting. I mean, I wasn't it. rejecting it. It, it was like I'm just not. Like this that is that might be the problem. Yeah. So, um, but even the first year and a half of my sobriety, I did not identify as an alcoholic um when you say that you mean you didn't say i didn't say i'm an alcoholic alcoholic. i said i'm Lindsay. i'm an addict um so it was funny because uh when i came in and i was going to na and i was going to aa too but i thought at first i mean i'm doing this for a living right like i know what you're supposed to do but i'm different so i can still drink alcohol right like i'm not an alcoholic so just need to set down the pills yeah Right. Like, that's the problem. And that's that's what got me here. Um, And so I was still drinking. I was and uh, and I remember I went to September 16th. I went to a friend's wedding in Nashville and I got very, 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 very drunk. And I was I was riding in the van with the car or the SUV or wherever I was on the way home. And they had to stop periodically so I could throw up. Mm. And um, and I remember I had told um, this woman that I used to work with and I kind of told her my what was happening 
So I, I kind of confided in a couple of people that I felt comfortable with. Um, and I was texting her and I said, oh, I'm so hungover. And she was like, should you, be? she was a social worker too. <laughs> she said, should you be drinking? And I was like, oh yeah, I'm not an alcoholic. And she was like, oh, okay. And, um, and I just did not think that that was a problem. And so the next Friday I go to the NA meeting and I'm thinking about it. And at the end of the meeting, we're all sitting out, standing out there smoking. And I said, if you're an NA, can you still drink? And they looked at me like I had two heads. Yeah. Like, you already know this. Why are you? You've been hanging you around really here? Just act, did you really just ask that question? And uh, and they were like, no, alcohol's a drug, too. And I was like, oh. And don't they say most AA me- or NA meetings, that's the thing they say. Oh, I've yeah. been to a number of them. They say alcohol's a drug, too. That's yes, the thing they it say. it does. But it's that like, did not. That like was not. But that. Rarely have, we, have yeah. we seen a person. Again, the whole internalizing it yeah. is, uh, is <laughs> was not there. Um, so I, I was drink a whole lot, just not alcohol <laughs> I um so I thought I was like, well, I guess I should stop drinking too, and um so that ended up being my last drink was September sixteenth, and wedding. um so I talked to my sponsor and changed my sobriety date. Does your sponsor know you're drinking, or was this you was just casually making just kind of casually. keeping that out of it? It was like, yeah, like, that doesn't that's not important. No, I didn't even mention it because I just yeah. didn't think it was a problem. Yeah. And I wasn't drinking daily. It was like if I went to a, if I, like the wedding, yeah. like, oh, yeah, I can have a beer, you know, or I am, was at my aunt and uncle's house, you know, one day and they offered me and I'm like, sure. Yeah. Like I'm, so I wasn't, it still wasn't causing cons- a lot of consequences. So I just didn't think it was a problem. Yeah. So then, of course, I had to get really honest with myself. Um, but I still was like, I don't know if I am an alcoholic or not. And I need to be, so I was like, I want to do this. I'm, if I'm going to do this, I need to do this perfectly. So I was like, I don't want to say I'm an alcoholic if I don't know it, that I really am. And so literally in a year and a half into sobriety, I say to my sponsor, which I almost did a few times and just chickened out. But, um, uh, finally I said, you know, I think I might be an alcoholic. And she looked at me and she said, well, it is about damn time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, well, what's going to happen if I go in AA meetings and say I'm an alcoholic now? And she goes, well, imagine that an alcoholic at an AA meeting, like everybody's going to know you're in the right place. That's yeah. what's going to happen. And gonna uh, say hi. yeah, they're going to say hello. <laughs> And, of course, there was some chuckles again because everybody else, I was like, if you all knew this, why didn't you just tell me? And they were like, nope, you got to figure it out on mm-hmm. your own. What so. a blessing that is, too. Just, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and, I'm, and I was always. we don't do well with that telling us what we, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, um, I, I had to really know that I was. I mean, I had to really figure that out on my own. But I was also so grateful. Like, I followed traditions. So she taught me what I needed to know. Do not go to a closed meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous if you do not say you're an alcoholic. And so I didn't. And um, so I only went to open meetings. um, And I did, I told my story. And I and I did talk about the pills because I can't talk about my my bottom unless I talk about that too. So, um, yeah, because I'm really a big proponent of this thing of, you know, I'm not big on the, you can't talk about drugs or you can't talk about this. I mean, it's yeah, my I mean, story, I'm not going to like, you know, it's, drink, I'm not going to like just talk about it for 20 minutes yeah. about how to get high. We all know how to yeah, do that. Yeah. So but I think uh, you had, you know, I mean, it's our truth. It's our, mm-hmm. it's our story. And, and yeah, that's one of the reasons it was why I kind of like this medium is that mm-hmm. I'm free to talk about 
uh, to tell people's true story without having to like hide stuff or try to do some mm-hmm. dance around this mm-hmm. what happened to me you know or yeah. you know where I found myself my journey yeah yeah so um yeah so I continued to go to meetings and I had worked the steps and I was sponsoring people and um the prison was getting really scary. There was a lot of management changes. Um, there was a lot of escapes. There was a lot of riots. Um, it was time to go. Hmm. So, um, so within like a year and a half, I started looking for another job. And I knew, I knew in my mind that whatever, whatever I'm supposed to do, God will take me there. And I don't know how long this is going to take. But I know that's whatever's supposed to happen will. Because I, I trusted that. I knew my history. I knew my story. I knew my life and how I could see when one thing affected the other. And I know that God has put, put me where I was. So he's not going to start feeling me now. Yeah. Um, Didn't bring me this far to drop me off yeah, today. Right. So I just, I just dealt with it. And I would, um, I would get off of work and I would go to meetings to try to get my head straight again um and two years um so it was almost three years into um working there i got a call for an interview in jeffersonville working for centerstone in the forensic diversion program so i was going to do the same thing i was doing only on a much smaller scale so i was only going to have a caseload of eight instead of 75 <laughs> so <laughs> it was a lot more manageable and i took it right away and I put my notice in and I, you know, I had spent my whole life just being so scared and having so much fear and I didn't feel any fear at all. I was excited. I was like, this is what I'm supposed, I know that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, I had no doubt in my mind that this is, I mean, I got the call two days later, I went there for an interview and 20 minutes later I got the job and that's where I was supposed to be. Um, I had interviewed for that job a year before, but I, they couldn't hire me because I didn't have my license, my LCSW that I needed to do the job. I didn't know, they didn't tell me that that's what I needed to get the job. Um, but I figured out along the way that if I was going to get out of corrections, I better, um, get my LCSW because a lot of things were changing. LSCW is? LCSW, Licensed Clinical Social Worker. Okay. So I... Um, That's partly for me and partly for those it's okay. Yeah, thanks. I've heard it a time or two, but I, you know, I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. in, so I don't... Yeah. So I, um, I got my... I passed the test and I got my license. Two weeks later, I get a call from them and says, hey, we have another opening. Do you have your LCSW yet? I said, yes, I got it two weeks ago. Yes, I do. Two days later, had the interview, 20 minutes later, got the job. So I knew that this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. So I didn't have any fear, but I also had learned in my recovery that my whole life I had lived in this bubble. And if I did not want to feel uncomfortable, I hated feeling uncomfortable. So I would um, not try things that were uncomfortable mm-hmm. and I am not, I'm still not a huge risk taker. Don't get me wrong. It's just not my personality. But, um, I was like, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say no to things just because I'm out of fear. Yeah. And, um, and I also knew that it's where I was supposed to be because I didn't feel that fear, but I was going to walk through it anyway. So when I, when I moved, um, there was a little nervousness just because I don't know any, I was like thinking, 
I don't know anybody here. Nobody knows me. I literally had no, I didn't know anybody in town, in the town. Mm. And I wasn't nervous because of Alcoholics Anonymous. I knew that I could go to a meeting, to meetings, and I knew there were a ton around here. And I knew that I would meet people. But I remember thinking, if something would happen to me, who would know? (laughs) That was my first, like, huh, that's kind of scary. So I thought, I better start meeting some people. So um, I just went to meetings, and I met people. And every time I got asked to do something, I said yes. And I just try to get involved. And I met Holly. Um, she was one of my first friends that I met in Alcoholics Anonymous mm. um, when she came in. So I was like two years sober when I met her when she came in. And then she had befriended somebody else. That we, and so then we just all started hanging out. And um, so and she talks very fondly of that, of that mm-hmm. early group of, yeah. of gals that were got close quickly. And yeah, we did. We did. It was great. Yeah. Great, great people. Yeah. We had a good time. So, um, anyways. So you just packed up everything. You were still living in Jasper. Yeah. You had an apartment. Is that what you said? And that kind packed of thing. Up, so you just packed up. Packed and up and moved. Found well, an apartment. Mom and dad were all okay with that. Go for it, girl. Yeah, I was 20-some 20, yeah. 20 years old. Well, I was 28, 29. They don't 29. want you to go too far away. And oh, Yeah. Well, and they helped me move, did and cool. yeah, no, they're always so did, been did you very supportive. Moved to Jeffersonville, Clarksville. Moved to Jeffersonville. Jeffersonville. Yeah, into an apartment. It was a lighthouse apartment, and um, I so like I was that. For that a year. You know, that's another. Um, there's some themes that you hear here. You know, like you said in the beginning, it's all we're all the same, but the, the stories are different. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and that uh, that ability to say yes to things is mm-hmm. is huge, and I see that come because I. I like you said, I can, I'm afraid to try anything. I'm, yeah. I'm cautious. I'm, my fear is driving me. Mm-hmm. And then once I get this recovery under my belt a little bit, then I start getting some self-confidence and I start getting some self-esteem, some other things yeah. that allows me to say yes to opportunities. And those yeses, and it started out with doing things like, well, can you, uh, can you be here early to make coffee? Yeah. Can you, you know, help yeah. me put up chairs? How, can, will yeah. you speak next Tuesday night? You know, mm-hmm. and these little little things where I'm learning to say yes in yeah. a safe environment. Yeah. And I was just as scared to do all that. But, you know, I think when we talk about, you know, you hear this thing about practice, these principles, you know, some of that, yeah. some of that was practice, you know, they allow us and it's not like, mm-hmm. it's not formed. It's not a, it's not an equation they're throwing at us. It's just this process mm-hmm. that allows us. So then when this real opportunity comes up yeah. for you, I had already uh, been you doing can those pack things. up your stuff yeah. and get up and say, yes, be a yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I remember thinking every day when I would feel any kind of anxiety, I would say, just move your feet and your head will follow. Mm -hmm. Just stop thinking. Just move your feet. And so anytime I was invited to, it was, when I moved there, it was in November. It was Thanksgiving time. So it was right before the holidays. And so there was women, there was women in the meetings that would say, I'm having a group, I'm having women over at my house on Friday night. If you want to come, let me know. And I said, I would, I would get a hold of him after the meeting and I would say I'm new here I'd love to come even though I didn't want to I mean I'm a homebody so there's a lot of like on Fridays I just want to stay home yeah. but I was like I can I got to get out there and I gotta I have to meet people so even times where I just didn't feel like it I just did it anyway yeah. and because that's what I was taught that's what I learned um I learned that it doesn't matter how you feel you just do it anyway yeah and, yep. and uh another gentleman in here uh struck me with that you know he said talked about his bark and he said uh how many, you know, the majority of things that turned out to be great for him were things he didn't want to do. Yeah. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I had learned, um, like I said, I had learned to do all those things. I learned to um, do things even if I didn't feel like it. And I remember have starting to have those light bulb moments. And when I, I would get these, like, uh, especially the first year that when they call it the pink cloud, but I would feel that serenity come over me in really stressful situations. And that's, and, and I remember saying to my uh, grand sponsor and I said, how do I, it was like the first time I ever got drunk or ever got high. I was like, I want to feel like this all the time. Yeah. How do I do this? How do I get this feeling all the time? And um, and she looked at me and she said, repetition, repetition, repetition. She said, it doesn't matter how you what you think, feel, or believe. You just do it anyway. Um, and so I that's what I had in my head mm-hmm. when I moved. So it was just do it anyway. Just do the right thing. Um, so I met a lot of people very quick, very quickly. And, um, there's a great recovery community. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah. um, I yeah. think of that too, you know, how I'm, you know, mm-hmm. just happened. I, I grew up in that house. I bought, I moved in here when I was three and, and, and uh, well, I was still married and bought it from mom and dad in 2008. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, I don't think it's an accident that I'm sitting here in this, uh, hotbed of recovery mm-hmm. and, uh, just waiting yeah. to hatch. Yeah. Yeah. So I did, I mean, that was kind of the, the, it was just kind of the start of my life starting again. I mean, I, I didn't allow myself to just stay in that bubble anymore. So, cause even if I knew things were good for me, I just didn't do them cause I was scared. And I just, you know, I think there's this difference, uh, between, and I knew, I, I don't, I was always going to have some fear. So my goal wasn't necessarily not to have fear. My goal was to walk through it. Right. And and a friend of mine says um, the trick is not being free from fear; it's being free with fear. Yeah, and just do it anyway, and just keep doing the deal, keep walking. And that history of having those things work out mm-hmm. gives you more confidence later on to walk into mm-hmm. the next one. Yeah, right. And I have been doing that so often that it just became natural. I call it my miracle list. <laughs> I actually have like a long-term gratitude list where these things happened, and, yeah. and my sponsor. Uh, uh, recommended I start making a list of them, a tangible list, because he said someday you're gonna, you won't remember these things. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad that he had me do that, and I keep it in my phone now. You know, I've actually yeah. done a whole podcast on them at one point, and that's really all I talked about. But those little yeah. miracles that happen in yeah. our lives that that give us mm-hmm. the power to to accept it opens up my it opens up my ability to receive more miracles. <laughs> yeah, it's like fertile. Yeah. I always said gratitude gratitude is like the fertilizer for tomorrow's miracles. Yeah. Being grateful for the things that happened before. Mm -hmm. To other opportunities. For sure. Definitely. Yeah. So, um, let's see. I probably within, so I moved here in November. So in June, I met Chris Neer and we uh, started dating. And like I said, I never really had this and like that I had to get married or have kids. Um, but I probably within the first month of dating him knew that we were probably going to get married. Hmm. Um, and I was really, I mean, I was talk about fearful. I'm really bad at commitment. Like I'm just like, (laughs) that's, which is probably why I just never had the desire to get married because that's a really big commitment. Right. So, but I think I knew very quickly. And so in that, um, that also changed my life, you know, I mean, yeah. everything in my life completely changed again. And so everything that I had been taught and everything I knew, 
um, help me in my relationship with him. Um, and I had said to him, um, I, I'm not going to get engaged for at least a year. So he waited for a year and then he proposed and I was terrified and said, yes, anyway, it was like, I don't know. Like I, it was, it was, it was one of those deals again, where I was like, I know this is the right thing. Like, I know I'm supposed to marry this man, but it's still terrifying. (laughs) So we waited another year and got married and he had a stepdaughter. And, um, so, you know, it went from my job to my apartment and recovery to my job, apartment, marriage, dogs, stepdaughter, house, like, wow, that's a lot of responsibility. That's a lot of commitment. Um, but, um, you know, I don't think I could have done that without Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, I couldn't have walked through it. I would have, I would have absolutely ran. Yeah. I would have ran as fast as I possibly could, not because it wasn't good, but because of just fear, mm-hmm. just fear. Yeah. So, yeah. So, cause um, I did, and I'll, I'll be a little careful mm-hmm. about how this, but mm-hmm. one of the things I noticed in your story, there was a, there was a lack of relationship talk. Yeah. Throughout. Didn't you know, care. Usually that's uh mm-hmm. that's typically some of the points that somebody walks through their lives is there'll be these windows where I was dating so-and-so oh, for yeah. three years and then nope. I did it and they broke up horribly or whatever, you know, and uh, nope. I didn't hear any of that. And, no, because I had, you know, I was kind of like the opposite of a lot of people in the program where they didn't have a lot of boundaries and like, okay, so they meet somebody and then move in together. And I was the opposite. Hmm. I mean, I'm like, no, like you don't staying here. You're not like... <laughs> No, I like living by myself. Like, I don't need your, your stuff too. You know, I would just, my, the boundaries I had were really, really, really strong. And I think I had to do the, op- I had the opposite issue where I had to, I had to let go of some of that stuff Yeah. because there were so many, um, like I said, if it was uncomfortable, I didn't want to do it. So, um, so it's like in your third year of sobriety. Two two in Jasper mm-hmm. and then moved here and inside of a year you're found um, your mate yeah your soulmate yeah so um, yeah um, well he he um, he's in recovery too mm-hmm. so we, that's where you met him right yeah we ended up um, we did end up moving in together a little quicker than what I would have normally done. It was, I think it was like five or six months we moved in together. And then, um, um, I think there was just, uh, a ton of, I remember, let me go back. And I remember when I was in middle school and I told my mom one day and I said, I said, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to get a degree and I'm going to work and I'm going to take care of myself before I get married because I want to, I don't want a, a man to take care of me. Hmm. Middle school. And, um, so she said to me and she said, well, sometimes that will bring some more challenges because you already have your way of doing things and they will have their way of doing things. And so it's going to be a, you know, that's an adjustment too. 
And I'll never forget that. And it absolutely was an adjustment. Yeah. It definitely, yeah, it was an adjustment. And there was a lot of growing pains. Um, and we've gone through quite a bit in the last eight years together. Um, there was a lot of um, uncomfortable days. There was a lot of uncomfortable years. But <clears throat> there was, there are things that have happened um, that, at the end of the day, we are always there for each other. So I also, it was really great, I think, for me that we were, and him, that we were both in recovery because there was no question on why somebody has to go to a meeting or right. why somebody has to do this or why somebody wants to do that or somebody has to call their sponsor or they have to pick up the phone because their sponsee's calling them. Right. Um, there was just this understanding Yep. And so he, we learned quickly that he does his recovery and, and I have my recovery. And then we just meet in the middle. Yeah. Um, I am interested really. And in, uh, I think it'd be valuable to people. Uh, and I'd mentioned it about having, you know, I've had one uh, couple in here once who one was in recovery and one wasn't, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm really interested in exploring that kind mm -hmm. of talk. So, yeah, uh, because I think it's, you know, it's no different. It's one of the toughest things to navigate in, mm -hmm. in recovery. Well, one of the hardest things to navigate, period, is these relationships. And, yeah. and doing it in recovery has its special things about it that, yeah. that I'd love to hear people share what's worked for them mm -hmm. and what, what yep. hasn't. Yep. And we already knew each other's language. Yeah. You know? Um, well, there's a, you know, I, I'm a long ways from a Bible thumper, but I, I do draw from all these cool ancient teachings and stuff, you know, and I think that comes right from underneath of the line that says something about being equally yoked, mm -hmm. that, you know, you're operating on similar principles and, yeah. and it brings you a lot closer together. You understand, like you said, you're speaking each other's language because yeah. we do talk a complete different language yeah. in recovery than, yes. uh, than outside of it. Definitely. It's one of the things yeah. you can pick up on people's language pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There was, um, I think some, you know, I had more sobriety than he did. And I think, um, there was some people that he was maybe thought, well, she's going to get him sober hmm. or she's going to, she's going to take care of him or she's going to show him how to do this. Um, she's going to be his sponsor, right? Because I've been doing this longer and it was just not the case. It was just not the case at all. Um, I did not want to be his sponsor. I had absolutely no interest and being his sponsor, I needed him healthy. Yeah. I needed him sober and healthy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I just worked. I don't know Chris that well, but I've been in enough meetings with him, and I really respect his recovery, mm -hmm. and I really like yeah. I really like him. Yeah. So it went from, um, so there's been some times where, you know, I've been more active than him, and there's other times throughout our sobriety that he's more been more active than me. Um, but at the end, end of the day, we were both still active in our recoveries. Um, you know, we have sponsors and home group and meetings and, um, it's just a part of our life. It's not anything. And it's just been that way since day one. So, um, you know, there's been times where somebody will say, you know, like, how long do you have to do this? <laughs> like, how do you, do you still do that? Like, you still go to those meetings? Yes. Um, they don't have to understand, and that's okay. If I wasn't 
in Alcoholics Anonymous, I wouldn't either. Yeah. I wouldn't get it. I'd be like, why do you still have to do those? Do that. Like you already get it. You already know it. Just do it. I am thankful that I'm alcoholic. I wouldn't have the principles and these guiding ways, these guiding principles of how to do life. Like you've heard people say, you know, whenever they passed out the manual on how to do life, whether it was the <laughs> second or third grade, I think I must have been asked yeah. that day and all that. And I never have was ever. And, you know, yeah. I did a chameleon thing where I watched mm-hmm. everybody else and, and hoped that they were doing something right. And if I did yeah. what they did, yeah. Uh, yeah. then I was okay. And, yeah. you know, that turns out sometimes okay and sometimes really bad. Yeah. Uh, but I also tell people when they don't understand this that, you know, frankly, that you're pretty fortunate that you don't understand this. Absolutely, uh, yeah. You know, so in the same breath, yeah. you know, because that means you haven't been hurt by alcoholic. You mm-hmm. haven't been, you know, and you're not suffering from this thing. So I think that, too. I think yeah. that, too. I'm like, it's that's okay that you don't get it. You don't have to. I don't, my family doesn't understand. They don't, they don't, my mother was the one that said, wait a minute, you're moving to Jeffersonville and you're still going to go to meetings? Like, why? You're um, do over. Yeah. Uh, what do you mean, why? And I don't, she doesn't have to understand. Yeah. It's not her responsibility to understand. It's mine. Yeah. It's not her her responsibility to, that I'm so, you know, that I stay sober. It's mine. Yeah. My father doesn't understand it, but he respects it a great yeah. deal. You know, he comes to all my sobriety birthdays. He, he loves my mm-hmm. guys. He knows what I'm doing in here right now is participating in my mm-hmm. recovery. And, and he knows that the son he has today is a result of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was an example. I think the best example that um, I think my parents have seen as far as Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, they don't I don't really talk about uh, my recovery with them. Mm-hmm. I don't talk about AA. Um it's just not it's like i said it's not their responsibility yeah um but i do i mean all my friends are in recovery and so all the friends that i introduce them to are in recovery and i and i think in the back of their minds they know that but they don't say it out loud (laughs) but i've been doing this for a while so so last year, um, I think, the, like I said, the biggest example, I think, for my parents as far as a p- the positivity of it, because I think they they always kind of looked at it as though, like, those people yeah. are going to AA. Like, that's not for you. That's for the other people, right? Um, and so when they, last year, I was diagnosed with cancer. Mm. And um, luckily, it was stage one. Um, and I'm okay today, but I was diagnosed and it was like my first reaction wasn't really fear. My first reaction was I need to let people know, um, because that my, and, and really like, that's a miracle. Mm -hmm. That's a miracle because I was the girl that never needed anybody. I never yeah. needed help. I was the one that always had it together and I would help other people. And so for my first reaction was to just send out a text or send it or in a phone call to to let them know what's going on just so they could be there yeah. to help me. Um, and I don't need you to fix it. Like you can't get rid of it, but you can be my friend today and I can allow you to be helpful and to um, care about me and ask me how I'm doing and do you do you need anything yeah, people support yeah and people were coming out of the woodwork mm-hmm. and so I know when I told my parents the terror 
you know, like the terror that, that my mother had. Like she was just, she would just, you know, the tears, like she would just, cancer's scary, right? Yeah. The word is super scary. It is. Um, so she got to see people that were just coming out of the woodwork yeah. to help. Right. Um, and I told her, I said, mom, I've had 25 texts today with people asking me if I need anything. Yeah. Um, I would show her just the support I had. And it wasn't, I wasn't being like, look, mom, you know, or I was like, I'm like, look, like I, I'm not alone. Reassuring Because I'm not, I know you can't be here all the time. You don't live here. Um, I know you don't, they didn't live that far away, but she couldn't just come on over. Um, And so I wanted to make her feel better about that I'm okay. I have support. People are here to help me. So, um, and I think that, was one of the first times where she was like, hmm, okay, like this is probably, this is great. Yeah. These people are great, right? And the people that she got to meet, it wasn't like they were these drug addicts that look like drug addicts, right? Yeah, they look right. like normal people yep. Yep. <laughs> that live normal lives. Um, so I think that was the best example that they could have seen. Yeah. So, um, and I'm okay. I've had surgeries and I didn't have to go through any kind of Good. other treatment. And yeah. so, um, it was very quick. Um, it was tough, but quick, but yeah, the support, um, yeah, cause AA shows up, they show Our, up. This Reed recovery fellowship show up on for, for people, you know, it's yeah. a place that, uh, I definitely, uh, they truly, truly show up for the others in, in the tribe yeah. And to others too, you know, but because mm-hmm. uh, I see that same thing happen, it doesn't have to be, but because yeah. we've learned to show up for one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and and I think this is the support that um, because even though I'm even though I'm married, and even though um, even though we're you know we have a good marriage, there's still sometimes that like I'm okay, I'm good. You know, like yeah. you don't have to help me. Yeah. <laughs> Miss Independent is always there in the background. Um, and so I think it gave him an opportunity too to help and um, mm-hmm. to just allowing him to, you know, be my better half. Yeah. You know? Yeah, always, you know, life sits down some heavy bags on you yeah. once in a while, you know, and what I know today is I don't have to carry them by myself. Exactly. Yeah. So it doesn't, you know, I think that's to me, I was like, I can, there's, there's nothing in my life that can happen today. That's going to be an excuse for me to get drunk. Right. Yeah. There is no excuse. I mean, cause it, I mean, it was also this thought of if I got drunk today, then these people are probably not going to keep showing up. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like these people, I'm going, I'm going to lose all my friendships. Like I don't want to lose yeah. what I've built um, and it's not because, oh, I know it kind of sounds, I can think of that kind of sounds like I'm like, well, I need everybody, I guess. Maybe that's because it's uncomfortable for me to say I need people, but I do. I need, I need friends. I need people. Yep. I need it. I need that connection. Yeah. That's the thing I was missing all along was a connection I have in, in my recovery communities and, yeah. and I need that today. Yeah. You know, and then there's some offshoots of that, you know, some of that's, you know, uh, I have a certain amount of accountability to stay sober for my friends. Mm-hmm. So that I can show up for them too. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, I got some accountability. You know, I do this podcast and I talk about this stuff all the time. And yeah. uh, so it puts some some 
leverage on me. And I know it works, so that's not a question mm-hmm. of it. But the uh, yeah. last thing I want to do is give somebody an idea that it doesn't. Yeah. Because uh, there's other people out there that yeah. need this thing, too. Yeah. And well, and I think also in the back of my mind, I was like, I know that I'm going to be okay. So this is a great, this is such a great way for me to help other people later on. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like when I get through this. It's hero's journey stuff. Joseph Campbell talks about that, that you have, you know, part of our cycle of life is that we're going to, we're going to hit rough spots. Mm-hmm. And our job is to walk through that rough spot so that we can come yeah. around and the other side of the circle is where I get to help somebody else because I've been there too. Yeah. You know, so that my problem can now be an asset for me to help you because yeah. I may, I walk mm-hmm. through it. Yeah. So I don't, if I wouldn't have shared, because I could have, I could have very easily just not told any, yeah. told people. Yeah. Um, you know, my days generally, in, in, unless I was recovering from surgery, my days looked the same. So that um, earlier you talked about, it, and I think it wrapped up in the one sense of some, some of in the promises it says intuitively able to handle things that used to baffle me. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I run across these things that are, they're frankly huge. I've had a few of them in my life. You know, I lost my mother, and I've had mm-hmm. some other pretty big things happen to me in 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 recovery mm-hmm. is that there is a calmness about me that is not me yes it is not really me there's some i wouldn't have that without this recovery this knowing first yeah. off this higher power is not dropping me off here today right uh yeah and uh and it, i know i'm not being dropped off but maybe this maybe this won't end the way i want it to but it's still there's a reason behind this just like everything else Mm -hmm. that uh there's some reason i'm going through this and Mm -hmm. my job is to walk through it and 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 find that reason yeah i've also been told you know and i really like this you know then uh and i and i kind of talked you know um for lack of a better term preach this is that if i don't share my stuff like that Mm -hmm. you know i'm actually i'm actually being stingy i'm actually yeah i'm actually uh prohibiting i'm keeping you from having an opportunity for you to participate mm-hmm. in your recovery by helping me right you know yeah uh, that, that it's stingy that we don't that we keep our secrets to ourselves and keep our our stuff uh alone and mm-hmm. you know and then again that whole other thing about being as sick as our secrets too right I mean, yeah i can't i have this you build that's negative energy low vibration right and mm-hmm. and i can't keep that in me i must yeah. set that free whether yeah. it's through sharing with a friend and i think mm-hmm. that's the underlying principle and the 10th step about talk to somebody mm-hmm. uh yeah. is that i i have an obligation to uh, let people know and just like you uh you know the other day i had something hit me and and i'm not ready to talk about it publicly yet but i did look back and inventory my actions of the previous day mm-hmm. you know and when that hit me the first thing i did was pray and yeah. the next thing i did was call my sponsor Mm-hmm. And the next thing I did was let my support group in on the deal. Yeah. You know, and then what the next thing I did, and I, I had a third step with the guy. So I turned my attention to helping somebody else, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm sitting here and I'm okay over something that is not okay. Yeah. But, and it, so it's become my default position to since I've practiced these things that mm-hmm. became, and I, you know, I didn't do any of that, like go, okay, what should I do first? Yeah. I looked back at yesterday and went, what did I do yesterday? Well, these, this is the steps I took without, mm-hmm. uh, like I said, in, in, in default mode. And, mm-hmm. and like, well, that's, yeah. that's what we're teaching here. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. that's why I'm okay. Yeah. 
is because I took those steps. Yeah, and I think for I think there's there's a reason why certain things happen when they do. Like that didn't happen on day one of yeah. my recovery. You know, that happened after a while. So I'm lucky because I had that foundation, and I also did find myself very calm. Like I think people, my husband was like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "Yeah." And I think that there was um, there were things in my life that had been harder. There's things in my life that that you wouldn't think would be more difficult to deal with, but were for me just because of my personality. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm I handle the big stuff better than I do the small stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. So if it's the big stuff, I I have no problem letting God take over. Cancer, I have no control over that. Like, what do you want me to do? Okay, like, I will just listen to the doctors and I'll do what I can, but I got to let this go. I can't make it go away, right? It's a big, big, big deal. Um, But those little things on a daily basis, the things I want to control and the things I want to change and mostly people, (laughs) that's tough. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of sayings and cliches that go around, and uh, and and I don't remember that one, but there is a there is something to do with that that small stuff piling up on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, weighs a lot more. I can handle that big mm-hmm. crushing blow better than the buildup of the day to day small stuff. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. If I think I can control it, it's it's hard for me to let it go. Yeah, because that like that cancer diagnosis is like instant powerlessness. Yeah. You know, and you instant. can okay. That's, yep. and it's easier to let go of that than it is something that mm-hmm. if I would just do this, maybe I could tweak this and get yeah. it going in the direction yeah. I want it to go in. Well, and I'm a planner. I like plans. Me too. So doctors have plans. Okay, now we're going to do this. And then when that happens, we're going to do this. And I like that. I'm like, okay, I can follow the plan. But if there's no plan, like days sometimes, your plans get all messed up. Yeah, I don't like my plans getting messed yeah, up. Yeah, I don't either. I don't like my plans uh-uh. being messed up at all. And so yeah. I get in a like a trajectory and maybe a rut or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I don't, even if it's something actually good, I can't bump out of the rut cause I'm, I'm on yeah. this, I'm, I'm task oriented and yes. the goal is down there yep. and, and, and I don't want to stop anywhere between here no. and the goal. Uh, you have to go, you have to stop to go to the bathroom. No, you don't. Let's get, keep going. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. We have a goal and I want to get to the goal as quick as I can most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Any uh so I talked about those miracles earlier. Is there any kind of things like like is there some most people have some pretty cool stuff that's happened is uh and I call them miracles. Um but things to uh share about like maybe the way you would have done this or done that or anything else miracle wise that that is a result of recovery? I know you have them. It's putting you on the spot a little bit, but Yeah. Um most of the time we have some things to share. Yeah. I think the, I think the, if I, if I, if I'm hearing you right, the little miracles being more for me, like spiritual awakenings yeah. or the spiritual experiences. That can be, yeah. Yeah. And I, um, I don't have them as often as I used to, mm-hmm. but, um, I just don't, I think I talked a little bit about that, that feeling of serenity. And I remember the first time that that happened. And um, sometimes people talk about the big book and the whole, uh, there's an educational variety, but there's also the burning bush. Mm -hmm. And I felt a little bit of the burning bush that one day. And I was um, standing in the middle of a prison dorm and there is chaos everywhere. 
and there are people everywhere and um, I am standing there and my my original instinct is always to just get really upset and get really anxious and then just like go yell you know start yelling or start doing something or just fix it right fix manage and control it and I remember that day I'm standing there and I'm feeling anxious and there's chaos everywhere and all of a sudden I just start feeling this big rush of peace hmm. that I never felt before and um, that was the day that I asked my grand sponsor how do I feel like that all the time hmm. And she said repetition. And I've had that experience uh, more than one time. And it seems to always be in very stressful situations where it just, it's like that, this, that piece of, um, it, you know, it doesn't matter if the sky falls, like I'm just at peace. Yeah, the little couple little phrases mm-hmm. that I think of is safe and protected. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, they talk about that as a, as a, in reference to alcohol in the book, but as I, my recovery, as I go down the path, uh, those definitions expand, you know, and, and, and in most situations in life today, I feel safe and protected. Yeah. There's a aura around me that... Mm-hmm. I don't want to get too arrogant about it, but I think as long as I continue to sure, it's not have me. that blanket come over you where you know yeah. there's just chaos all around you, and all yeah. of a sudden you're like, uh, you know, you know you're okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know it's not me. It's definitely not arrogance because it's God. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I meant have... like start taking it for granted in the arrogant oh, yeah. kind of thing where I don't want to start like you know, yeah. take unnecessary chances thinking oh, I'm sure. safe and protected. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, I think I'll stay my two feet on the ground. <clears throat> yeah. Burns, I think, is the one that said to get so spiritually high that I'm no earthly good. Oh. Yeah. I don't know. If, yeah. I don't know if that's about spirituality or just, you know, the whole arrogance of it all. Yeah. And it's two different things. It becomes two different things, I think. Yeah. I always have a there's always a tell when never uh when i know this is about over and it's there's a sigh usually on the other <laughs> end and, and i heard that a minute ago and i and i hit you with one more question beyond that any concluding i always ask for a concluder is there any kind of message anything you would like to say that i don't know if it's to the newcomer or to anybody somebody that maybe is it's a good is there any message on your heart um i think that one of the things that was very helpful for me was, um, and I think I've said it before, is move your feet and your head will follow. Um, we don't get this thing by osmosis. Mm-hmm. We do it by action. And I'm also the type of person that wants to try to figure this out. And I want to try to figure it out in one night <laughs> from a book. <laughs> um, you don't get this thing overnight. It's a process. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter how many years you have. It's a process. It's one day at a time. Yep. And I still, every day, that cliche of one day at a time has mm-hmm. gotten me through many, many, many days. Yeah. Um, you know, even last week. Last week I knew it was going to be a very stressful week. Um, and I just, on Sunday, well, actually on Monday, because Monday was Labor Day, it was like, okay, just one day at a time. And I'll always, I'll never forget that. So there's been several times where I've had to really 
remember that one day at a time. I can handle usually one day, yep. Yep. but I can't handle everything all at one time. Right. Yeah. 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 It's a, speaking of feet, uh, one of mine is I, I live where my feet are. Yeah. Uh, Where's your feet? Yeah. Where's your feet? What, You're safe. Right You're here. good. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Sometimes mm-hmm. I ask myself and I come to that, you know. Dan, are you okay right now? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. I'm okay right now. Yeah. yeah, I'm fearing something that's going to happen or might happen or yeah, yeah, uh, and it ain't happened yet. So yep, and I, you know, sometimes um, the <clears throat> knowing that I'll sit there and think, okay, I know that I'm feeling irritable, and it's no longer everybody else's fault. <laughs> I know it's me. Yeah. Nobody yeah. else has created this irritability but myself. So um, I do my best not to be of harm to other people. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah. I taught that line in there that says, it's the best news in that book is that uh, my troubles are of my own making. Yes. And uh, therefore, if they're mine, I actually have a little bit of say over them. Mm-hmm. If it really is everybody else, I'm screwed. Yes. I can't do anything I have, about oh my gosh, everybody yes. else. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I also remember the first day that I was, um, I was, I, I love to defend myself, right? So if you say something about me that makes me look bad, I'm going to defend myself. And I remember the first day that that happened and I didn't feel the need to defend myself because I knew if the shoe don't fit, don't wear it. Yeah. And I remember that all the time too. If the shoe don't fit, don't wear it. So if people are complaining about something, it's and it's not about you. Then yep. if you didn't do it, it's not about you. Right. So um, and that was freeing. You know, it was the most freeing thing. Was I don't have to fix, manage, and control anybody, and that took a weight off of my shoulders. Yeah, I don't have to fix you. Yeah, well, you were kind of trained at fixing people. Yeah, was your thing. And, yeah. Uh, and when you don't, and people don't listen to you, it's really frustrating, right? Yeah. I'm supposed to, I'm trying to help you, right? Like I'm supposed, I am trying to tell you what to do with your life you know? oh. <laughs> and how to fix it. And you're not listening to me. So, um, so when I learned that um, I am not responsible for anyone else, that's, that weight was really right. lifted and I could really even help people a little bit more than I always could before because I wasn't trying to control anything anymore yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah well i really really appreciate you coming in here to uh share your story with me today there's a i always say this that uh there's some collateral benefit in my little role i do here is what i get to do is i get to know you better mm-hmm. and it's always a good thing for me when i get to know one of my brothers and sisters are in recovery better uh that i still believe that uh connection is the true foundation behind what's all going on here and anytime i'm able to connect with somebody and 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 get to know them better and then by proxy other people get to know you better too uh, that's always a good thing Mm -hmm. so thank you for coming in here and sharing with us today um I close out with two things, and I and, and just like that old thing, you know, whatever the shit you were doing yesterday. Remember that shit you were doing yesterday kept you sober? Do it again today? Yeah. I kind of do that here, too. So, uh, first off, if you're not having a blast in your recovery, it's your own damn fault. It's not anybody else's. And 
thank you. Thank everyone out there for uh, allowing uh, Lindsay and I to participate in our recovery in this manner today. Peace out. <laughs>